I often find we are, you know, when we think about what we like, it's like vast and nebulous. Like I like dogs and also yeah. I like doing this and I also am into family. And, you know, but when, when it comes down to what you don't like, that's a North Star. That's clear as a bell. And I think it is harder for women to take that stance because we're socialized to be so accommodating. But when a woman thinks about what she doesn't like, she can go on for days. <laughs> We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Hillary Weiss. Hillary is a creative director, positioning coach, and the founder of Statement Peace Studios. She's also the co-host of the cult favorite YouTube marketing talk show, Hillary and Margot Yell at Websites, hashtag ham and has had her work featured on Business Insider, The Next Web, The Observer, and more. Since 2011, she's helped thousands of brands all over the world get seen and heard and make serious cash through her one-on-one client work, writing, coaching, and videos. Nowadays, she's on a mission to help more small businesses define their statement piece, aka the bold point of view that makes them radically different and relevant to their perfect people. So hey there, Hillary, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, Gillian. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm counting down the days, and I can't wait to dig into what we're talking about today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making the time. And I would love it if you could just start out by telling a little bit more about what you do and the work you do with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. So as you may have heard from the bio, dear listener, um, I'm a creative director and positioning coach. And what that looks like is, you know, the creative direction side of things. Uh, I work with six and seven big figure business owners to reimagine their brand from the inside out by developing what I call, you know, the statement piece or a clear creative concept that threads through the entire brand. It's totally unique. It's super relevant. It's usually very cool um, and is expressed through the visuals, through the messaging and through the positioning uh, of the brand. And that just brings me great joy. And on the other side of that, uh, the positioning coaching I do is for creative business owners who are usually three to five years plus in their business. Some folks I've been working with uh, have, have been in business as long as 10 years or more. Um, but what we do is really drill down deep to develop their key powerful position in the market. That's why I call the offer a power position, actually. Uh, and what that looks like is helping them define their clear specialty, develop their signature framework, and then thread that through their offers, their content, their messaging, uh, their strategy, and more. So it's just a real joy. And what I'm really hoping to do is help people bring their personality and point of view to life across screens of every size. And it is the best job out there, but I'm definitely biased. (laughs) Well, that is fantastic. So my first question for you is, do I understand correctly that the positioning work is more of a first step Mm -hmm. to get everything as it should be. And yep. then the defining the statement piece, that is a more advanced step. Is that yes. right? Yes, I would say so. I think the folks who come to me for creative direction, they've usually, they're quite successful. You know, they've, they've have a brand that people know, but what's happening is 
all of a sudden the current brand no longer is a fit for what they want to be doing. And they're clear on what that next step is, but they want an update, they want to refine it. And in some cases, they want an umbrella brand that's going to be able to help them grow and expand in new ways. And the positioning is similar to that, but it's really about helping these creatives show up for themselves to kind of come out from under that avalanche of client work and start actually building a brand for themselves as an expert, start doing the workshops, start making the courses and having a clear position is going to make, is going to help people flock to them, help them get seen and help them really build that brand for themselves. Okay. That makes sense. And I've got so many questions, so much (laughs) here to unpack already. Um, But so do I understand correctly that when you're doing the positioning work, it's more about making them like the go-to person in their industry for one specific thing. And then later when you're doing the statement piece work, that is when you're developing their brand with maybe multiple product offerings. Yes. It's also doing the visuals for the brand, doing the brand strategy on the whole. Uh, positioning coaching is largely it's around again these that core sort of brand foundation work so that everything that they're doing makes sense and is cohesive uh, but it's more around messaging than visuals yeah okay well today i want to focus in on how to really position yourself or how one can position oneself mm-hmm. um as that go-to person in their industry how can we become that brand in our industry that people really look up to that they know like and trust that when someone says you know I need to hire a blank, a copywriter, a, you know, a designer that everyone says, oh, you should hire so-and-so because we all know those people who are like that, that when, you know, the ask happens that everyone volunteers the same or suggests the same person. So what would be your, your basic, your first advice on how to become that person? So I think that it's so important for business owners to realize that, you know, your, your business and expertise is what you do. Your brand is what makes you different from everybody else doing exactly exactly what it is that you're doing. So I find that when it comes to branding, a lot of people take kind of a conventional approach. They're like, okay, I'm a copywriter. I will help increase your conversions. I will help optimize your emails. I'm just using copywriters as an an example because I was a copywriter for 10 years. Um, When it comes to positioning, what it requires is actually a pretty deep level of self-reflection. And if you want to become that brand, you have to do a deep dive into your own point of view and perspective, into the way you uniquely do things and what you're uniquely really good at, and also the way that you see things. And that often expands past just what are you doing day to day in your business, but it goes deeper into the kind of person that you are. What are you known for in your day-to-day life? You know, what have you always brought to the table? What skills from who knows when do you slip into the work that you do that makes it so extraordinary? Learn to study that and identify that and the world is yours. Okay, so could you give me maybe a couple examples of what that would look like? Yes. So one example I I really like to do, um, I have this workshop that I do called Start With Nah, the best brand strategy you're not using. Um, (laughs) What that's all about is it's sort of this idea of uh, allies and enemies in branding. So one way to think about your positioning is in that context. What do you want to be really for or really against in your industry? Right now, a hot one is you want to be, people really want to be anti what they call bro marketing. So against the the drop shipping, against the hack, speaking human, all that good stuff, that can be a really great focal point. And I find when people start with no and what they don't like, all of a sudden, all of this creative energy appears, all of this, these ideas and opinions that can be turned into content and courses start to show up. Because I often find we are, 
you know, when we think about what we like, it's like vast and nebulous. Like I like dogs and also mm-hmm. I like doing this and I also am into family. And, you know, but when, when it comes down to what you don't like, that's a North star. That's clear as a bell. And I think we're actually, I will, I won't go too in depth uh, with this one, but I think it is harder for women to take that stance because we're socialized to be so accommodating. But when a woman thinks about what she doesn't like, she can go on for days. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, so that's one category. And I find the other category um, in terms of branding and in terms of really creating something that you're known for um, that a lot of people don't think about is actually experience. So are you a real joy to work with? How do you make things fun? Are you really great at gifting? When you approach your work, let's say, again, I'll use the copywriter example, is personality something that you really love to focus on? Do you have a unique way you talk to your clients or questions that you ask that send those light bulbs going on? All of that has to do with your positioning. And a lot of it has to do with noticing, just starting to notice yourself, your patterns, and your own thoughts. Because I think in the business world, we kind of look to everybody else to tell us what to do, right? To tell us what's Mm -hmm. good and what the next steps are. But in reality, the person we should be paying attention closest to is ourselves and what's already happening naturally, because that's where the absolute best of our brand and positioning lives. Okay, so let's first talk about how to like start with gnaw and what what would make a good negative for the brand to be positioned against. And then I'd love to get into also like what makes your brand special and unique and how to work on that. So as far as picking that thing that you are standing against, Mm -hmm. um, I've got two questions. One is like, what would make a good thing to position yourself against? Could it be anything? I mean, or should it be something that is like really directly related to what you offer? You know, like should Mm -hmm. people be like, I am against, you know, I don't know, eating chocolate cake after 5 p.m. or or should it be something like I'm against bro marketing or I'm against, I don't know, automated something or other. Um, And then the second related question is, does it need to be just one thing? Mm-hmm. Or can there be several different things that we are against in our branding? Yes, I, I can, we can, I will start with the second one. And the answer is okay. yes, there can be multiple things just because especially I think with branding, it requires a lot of exploration. You know, you don't want to come up with one idea and hang your hat on it automatically for years to come just because you walk out of the shower and you were like, this sounds fun today. <laughs> like there's a lot of experimenting to find the direction to find the positioning and where your brand wants to live. Um, But in terms of the other question, I mean, you can certainly be against anything you wish, but it does help to position yourself for or against industry norms or systems or groups. And when I say groups, I have a lot of people come to me saying, like, I don't want to be a negative person. I don't want to offend anybody. And I think that's absolutely valid. And I'm mindful of this in my own work. And I, I do this every day. But I think that I would encourage people to, if they're afraid of offending somebody, don't point to the individual. That makes that's not you know useful. Uh, but it's pointing to the system, pointing mm-hmm. to the system because that allows people who've bought into the to the what you perceive to be the wrong stuff to see, oh wow, this hasn't been working because I've been taught X Y Z, but it's not working for me. Is it my fault? And the answer is no. It's the system. Um, so it it does help to keep it industry focused if you can. Um, but one really great example of a start with Na brand that I love is actually a woman by the name of Susan Hyatt. Uh, and she's a former life and wellness coach, I believe. And she has this whole book called Bear, which is, is whole, basically a giant manifesto against diet culture and how to rethink your life and your approach to moving your body and food from this place of really incredible joy and luxury and happiness and really kind of kicking all the, like, I have to be counting almonds in order to lose weight kind of um, concepts away. 
Uh, and it's been incredibly effective for her because she lives and breathes it every day. And that's why I encourage people, if they want to take a stance in their brand, to think about it. You know, what are you doing every day? What are what do you constantly think about? What are you always talking about with your clients? What are you always talking about with your colleagues? Start there because there's a lot of creative fire in who you want to be allied with or enemies with. Um, And I think the allies piece is great because you want to align yourself with people who think like you. But the reason why I say, again, start with not is just such a rich place to mine opinions and your point of view that you can then share in your branding, in your content, in your offers with your clients, which then attracts like-minded people and perfect fit clientele to you. So it sounds like this is really all about taking a stance against ideas that you do not believe are serving your customers. Absolutely. And that they know aren't serving them as well, because often you're going to find that those customers have been waiting for somebody like you to come up and say like, oh my God, somebody finally said it. Thank you. (laughs) I love that. That's so good. And I think, you know, a lot of us have heard before that we should take a stance, like, you know, have opinions. I've heard, I've read that in so many like leadership (laughs) books or like how to stand out um, information on that, you know, take a stand on things you believe on, um, Mm -hmm. be a polarizing leader. Mm -hmm. And, but then it can feel like really uncomfortable. And when you think about how to try to execute that, like, well, I don't want to be someone who's like just calling people out constantly. That doesn't sound fun or nice, you know? Um, But I love this take on it where we're just taking a stance against ideas that are not serving people. Because I'm sure that everyone who is any sort of leader in their business, who is trying to lead their customers to get any sort of result, um, knows of ideas, of tactics that other people are teaching that are not working for their customers, you know, or maybe it's not even something someone else is teaching, but it could just be something that their customers are trying right now that isn't working for them. Absolutely. And it's, it's when you think about it, too, it's our job as experts to move the industry forward in this way and to call out what's not working and to talk about things that, you know, may have worked four or five years ago. But right now it's a different there's got to be a different approach. It is our job to do that. It just ha- so happens to also be a great brand builder, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. So when you introduced this topic, you mentioned something about enemies and allies branding. So that was the enemies side of it, correct? Yeah. Yep. So talk to me about the allies side. What does that look like? This is, I forget who came up with the concept of allies and enemies. It was not me, but um, I, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but the allies and enemies are groups you'd want to be not associated with and groups that you do. So for example, I find that Um, often people in personal branding and uh, on Instagram will talk about like who their heroes are. Like Susan Hyatt talks nonstop about Beyonce. So that would qualify (laughs) as, you know, an ally for her, somebody she wants to be grouped with because uh, Beyonce has like a, as far as I, as I don't know her personally, I don't know if you know this about me, Beyonce and I aren't actually friends. (laughs) However, I would say um, that Beyonce is being known, Beyonce being known for excellence, being known for activism, being known for, you know, kind of giving the finger to convention in the name of her art and creating incredible things with it. That's sort of, it's an ideal, again, much in the enemy's way, it's an ideal to be associated with. Um, It's an ideal that you want to amplify and underline by sharing other people who are kind of on the same road. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to do that because it's like, well, if I share people who share my ideas, what if my prospects wander over there and realize they're so much cooler? And frankly, I mean, that's, while that is a possibility, I find that people who are attracted to you are attracted to you because of who you are. And they're not, you know, about to be led astray just because you've introduced someone to introduce them to somebody who has the same kind of philosophical 
September, as it were. Um, but I think that's really the allies and enemies piece where it's, well, who do you want to be against and who do you want to be for? And also the allies piece is a, a thing, something I think is very wonderful about social media because it gives us a chance to lift each other up and to show off and to give examples of brands embodying what we talk about in some way. And that's a great way to expose new people to awesome folks on the internet and also connect us to awesome folks who are celebrating too. So it sounds like there's a really big difference though between aligning yourself, like Susan Hyatt aligning herself with Beyonce versus me aligning myself with someone else who teaches something really similar to me and offers a similar product. Do you have any thoughts on? Absolutely. I think the Beyonce (laughs) example was a little lofty. So I will say, um, I think there are people in think, I think it's so important for us as brands, especially as personal brands, if you're going that route to also seek out others in the industry who share our ideals to co-create with them, to share things with our audience about them and their audience about us. And I think this is also, you know, the network piece, uh, which always comes in handy in the business space. But overall, I think we forget, we get so wrapped up in ourselves sometimes, we forget that we should be pursuing people who think like us if they're at our level, especially because that gives us a way to swap ideas, to amplify the message, and again, in front of new people. So coming back to how we can position ourselves as that brand in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've talked about how we can stand out by talking about what we're against mm-hmm. and also helping to, I think, strengthen our brand. It sounds like by aligning yeah. ourselves with other people who we are for or who mm-hmm. teach similar things to us or who are ideals. But you also mentioned that we could um, think about what kind of makes our brand special or unique. Yeah. Can you share some more about that? This is the fun part. So I do this a lot with my clients in my creative direction and positioning coaching work. Um, And I find the best place to start with that is thinking about what are the compliments that you hear from your clients over and over again, not just about the quality of your work, but about you as an individual. Um, I think it's easy for a lot of us to default to like, well, I always get my stuff done on time and Mm -hmm. it does its job. But I also think in when you're in conversation with the client, especially when you're in the creative sphere, because it's so personal um, so much of the time, especially if you're working one-on-one with individuals um, or small teams, you just learn a lot about them and get a chance to kind of experience them. And you're going to hear feedback about the experience of working with you. And maybe it's really fun. Maybe you're always showing up with a joke or you make them feel really at ease. Maybe your approach to your work and the way you do strategy is incredibly calming and they just feel refreshed every single time they leave a session with you. Maybe they are, uh, maybe you help them kind of dig under the layers of themselves and uncover things they never realized were there. All of those should be coming forth in your branding and positioning immediately because that is the magic of what you do that goes way beyond your skill set. What advice would you give to someone who says that they don't really feel like there's anything that makes them stand out? I've had a few people say something like this to me, like, well, I'm just a copywriter. I just write copy. That's what I do. Or I'm just a web designer. I mean, I make websites like there. And the spe- people have specifically told me, I don't think there's anything that makes the websites I make any better than the website someone else makes. I don't see a reason why someone should hire me over someone else. Do you have any advice for that person? Well, this is kind of like that that statement, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right, right? Um, and I think that's a form of hiding for a lot of online business owners. And I think we are predisposed, some of us, I think, are predisposed to avoid self-inquiry because it feels egotistical because we're like, oh, I don't want to think about myself like me, me, me. Uh, I can't imagine having my face 
all across social media or being a personal brand in the face of my company. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm going to tell you 100% of people that I have worked with and met have a unique way of seeing and doing things, whether they realize it or not, because we're not robots. Uh, you're not coming to each, unless you are, respect <laughs> all the robots out there listening. Um, but I think that that is a form of resistance to growth. And I think it's a form of hiding because when you have to do that inquiry work, when you have to dig under your own layers, it's a form of vulnerability, which people naturally resist. But that's also all the more reason to dig into it. If it scares you, go and get it because that means there's treasure in them, <laughs> their hills. But I would say that, you know, if somebody's coming to you with that resistance, and with that uncertainty, it's also because they may want an easy answer and they know that the road is not necessarily easy. It does take time. It takes testing. It takes putting themselves out there and, and testing out these concepts, going deeper with clients to figure out what it is. And some folks don't really want to take that journey. And that's also okay. I find if you prefer to just be a copywriter, be a designer, you don't really want a personal brand, you're good at your job, it pays the bills, then that's fine. You know, I'm not here to shame anybody and not wanting to be like a big personal brand or something particularly spicy or standout. I think it's also okay to want to do exactly what you're doing. However, I do tell folks who come to me with this problem that being able to develop your own brand, being known in your industry is also an insurance policy in a lot of ways, because it allows you to escape the referral only kind of hamster wheel. Uh, it means you're showing up as an authority in different ways and being put in front of more and more people as you're daring to put yourself out there. And those are experiences you just can't have if you're spending your days stuck in the client work zone exclusively and not creating or showing up for yourself in any way. Perfect. The episode you're currently listening to was originally offered as a live stream inside Startup Society, our training program for digital entrepreneurs. Each week in the program, Gillian teaches a live workshop for startup members, including a teaching segment like what you're listening to right now, a tutorial segment that demonstrates how to take action on the lesson, and an open Q&A period where Gillian and guest experts work directly with each member. Members also get access to Startup Society's library of business training courses, monthly co-working sessions and other events, and our private community forum. If you're looking for affordable business training, mentorship, and accountability, then visit startupsociety.com forward slash podcast to learn more about the program and apply to join. Now here's Gillian with the rest of today's episode. So if someone wants to become this go-to brand in their industry, what would be the first like five or six really practical steps that you would suggest that they take? Ooh, that's a really good one. Well, first... I think uh, the most important thing is to define the vision. Where do you want to go? Like, what do you actually want? Um, I find a lot of, especially with my positioning coaching clients, we'll have that first call where we'll talk about vision and they'll be like, well, I don't know if I want to be doing what I'm doing anymore. I think <laughs> I might want to do this. And I'm like, great, let's build the road to get there. Because I find a lot of people feel like they have these crazy dreams about maybe moving exclusively into strategy and away from implementation, maybe doing, um, adding in coaching, maybe, you know, exploring different creative methodologies and approaches. And I say, go for it. But it's really, really important that you understand where you want to end up. Because there's that saying, right? You can't hit a target, you can't see. There yeah. are very few blind archers for that reason. It's just not good <laughs> optics. I just had to finish off that joke. Um, but I think that 
Um, that's the first place to start. Figure out where you want to go and why. Because we always get kind of stuck in this like, well, I want to be successful so I can make six figures and that I can, you know, be a fancy person. Um, and the reason why a lot of people get stuck on the hamster wheel is that that's not what they really want. Mm-hmm. And that that's a nice side effect of pursuing what you really want usually because then you take ownership and then you charge more. But I think the conventional... Uh, standards of success aren't a fit for everybody. So it's really important for us to inquire, what do I really want here? If I'm making this change, where do I want to go? So you kind of answered my next question already. I was going to say, like, do you mean a revenue number? Do you mean Mm. what you really want to teach? Do you mean what do you want your company to look like? So you said not a revenue number. And I agree with you there. But but what could you give me a few examples of where you want to go? You just gave yourself those examples. Um, No, I think that it's absolutely like, do you want to be switching up uh, what you're doing? Do you want to be teaching something? Do you want to be developing something nobody's made before and turn it into a course or program because you have the way to do this? Um, I think for me, the best example I can come up with is is my own uh, experience, actually, because I decided probably about three years ago that I wanted to make the transition out of copywriting and into creative direction. And that required me taking a lot of steps to make that pivot. It required me uh, testing a lot of ideas, testing a lot of structures for my approach. But it took the better part of three years to officially make the pivot, uh, which I made a little bit earlier this year. God bless. But that was all about um, I knew that I wanted to get out of copywriting because the execution side of things was killing me. You know, it was it was really filling my plate. I wasn't able to show up for my brand in the way I wanted to. And I knew that I could create so much more change for people and make so much more of an impact and have so much more fun doing the creative direction work and the positioning coaching work that I do now. Thank God I was right because it took a long time to get here. But also other people, it doesn't have to take three years. I'm, I'm a snail when it comes to development because I want to test everything. I want to be sure. Um, but a lot of my clients make huge transitions in a matter of months because they've been sitting on this idea for so long for where they want to go. And it's just a matter of building the, the ladder or, or paving the road, so to speak. Okay. So step one, figure out where you want to go. Step yep. two. Step two, I would take a really good look at the way you do things. And I'll give you guys a little exercise that I do with my coaching clients, which is where I have them write down their process for working with every client and not just every step of the process from sales call to final delivery, but why they do it. Mm. What is happening in their mind as this is going on? What are they looking for? What are they listening for? What do they hope to put together? Because that's going to pull out details of your really awesome and unique approach. That sounds really good. And it reminds me of a copywriting technique that I use a lot where I don't just tell people what, you know, what they're going to get, but I tell them what impact it's going to have. So if I'm writing like a bullet point, then I'll say, you know, five lessons so you can, you know, learn everything you need to know. So you can learn how to position yourself as X, Y, Z. So you can. So the words are, so you can. And so I can see using a really similar technique here. So like for step one is you fill out application so that I know everything about your brand. Bingo. Yeah. And I love the so they can. That's like my favorite trick in the copywriting book. And that's exactly (laughs) where part of that's from. Because it it really is. It forces people, again, we're getting under the layers here. Like we got to go under the surface. And you have to learn to study your own brain. You have to learn to, to see the way you see things and be able to reflect on your own ideas because your brain is a brilliant instrument and we're kind of taught to ignore it a little bit. But the more you focus in, the more you can uncover it. It's really, really cool. 
uh, when you start that practice and when you start that exercise. Okay, so step two is to write down all the parts of the process of how you serve your customers. Mm -hmm. And I imagine if someone is selling a physical product, walk me through what someone should write down in that case if they're selling Mm -hmm. a product. I think it's also, um, so with when it comes to products, it's obviously a little bit different because it's not the one-to-one experience, but there's a lot that you can look at in what makes the nature of your product so specifically special and also the way you deliver it, the way you treat your customers. That's an opportunity to explore all of that as you kind of go down the line. Okay. So what would be step three then? What would be step three? I think step three would be sitting with looking at all of this with the vision, with where you want to go, with your framework, with your approach. What do you really want to be doing right now? And that's deciding your specialty, exploring where you might want to plant your flag in the ground. And where you can spot that is what comes up again and again in the exercise you do in step two. Or it's a matter of, What am I always looking for and listening for? What do I really enjoy as a part of this process? And I really, really insist to my clients and I'll insist to all of you that pursuing joy, pursuing that, that, that happy energy piece is so important. Like that is where a lot of the juice is in terms of where you want your specialty to be. What do you want to do? What do you enjoy doing most? And what way do you enjoy doing it and why? Asking yourself those questions is going to help you figure out where you want to be planting your stake in the ground and how you want to be putting yourself out there. You know, what is it, for example, in copywriting? I lo- love that we're both the copywriters. Thank you. It <laughs> makes so much sense. Um, I would say that, you know, some of my copywriter clients, one of them in particular right now, her, what she loves to do is personality and adding spice. And she's just, she's got like a 10 foot tall personality. As far as I know, she's like five foot nothing. <laughs> um, and what she does is really, really help her clients pull out those those spices, pull out their unique flavor. There's a, I won't give away the whole brand because we've come up with a really great metaphor for a framework that I'm sure you can kind of imagine uh, <laughs> now that I've given some of it away, but it's hers to share, so I won't spoil it. But really anchoring in that, what do you enjoy most about your work? What do you find most gratifying? Focusing on that as opposed to what's making you the most money right now is what changes the game and what makes that road to growth so much easier. Once you've figured out what that specialty is that you really want to specialize in, um, then what can you do to make other people see you as the go-to expert for that specialty? That's step number five. Um, You start talking about it. You start talking about it. You start solving those problems in public. Uh, You start, you know, whatever that looks like for you. I encourage a lot of my clients right now to use Instagram if I have to pick a platform. Uh, just because I found it to be an incredible, an incredibly active space for buyers and for sales convert for like very authentic sales conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, the rule I give them is I'm just giving everything away here on the podcast. <laughs> um, no, the rule I usually tell them is like post two or three times a week stories every day if you can, and it doesn't have to be you know hello I am talking about my specialty today. But if you're looking at your process, if you're looking at your vision, if you're looking at your specialty, if you're looking at the things you want to be for and against, that is an endless pool of content and things you want to talk about. What's what's on your mind today? It can be that simple. But the most important thing is that you keep it, you keep that focus, that specialty in mind, and it contextualizes everything. It's the lens through which you see everything. So you start you show up, you talk about it, 
and you start having those conversations. And it's usually very surprising how rapidly and excitedly people tend to respond. So I am a web designer and I make websites for small creative brands that do like handcrafted goods, maybe mm-hmm. big, big brands that mix handcrafted goods, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's my specialty. And I'm going to show up every day on Instagram stories and I'm going to... I'm just going to say, this is what I do. No, that's not what I'm going to do. Right? So what, what should I, and I'm going to talk about what I'm against. That yeah, part's probably easier, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. like I see people doing this. I see people making this mistake. This is why that doesn't work. That part clicks in my mind immediately. Yeah. But how can we really talk about our specialty? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, by the way, I have a, I have a, a framework for digging these ideas out of your head. It's called the statement piece framework. Um, I won't go into that now, but I find when it talk when thinking about, about specialty, this is where you start experimenting. This is where you start finding ways to talk about it. So you use your in the context of your specialty, you talk about client results and transformation. In the context of your specialty, you talk about your process. In the context of your specialty, you talk about other brands doing what the similar something similar to what you do very, very well. You talk about how you learned to do what you do and create your specialty, all of that history, all of that context, all of the, the the specialty as the lens that colors the way you see things, that's the way to sort of start talking about it think and thinking about it. So we got the allies, we got the enemies, but also what are you doing for people? Why do you do it the way that you do it? And what are some brands and what are some things and ideas that you think are really important to share in this context? That tends to be a pretty good place to start. Great. That's really helpful. Okay. So that was the fifth step. Do you have any more steps after this or should we stop there? (laughs) Usually all this, take a look at your offers, do an audit. Are you in your zone? I think uh, Rachel Rogers says like, not, not your zone of excellence, your zone of genius. Um, But I think for me, it's a matter of with the vision you have in mind with your, the way you like to approach things with your specialty, with your interests, do your current offers line up with the way that you want to be living your life as well as doing your job? Um, and usually for a lot of my clients, that looks like so much simplification. Um, that looks like a, sometimes a whole, an entirely new offer that all of a sudden people are clamoring to buy because these folks who've been watching them, who've been sort of experiencing them in this way, are finally seeing them come out with an offer that embodies what their followers admire so much about them. It creates so much excitement. Um, so really encourage people to revisit that. Often, you know, there are steps that you can remove uh, in your process to focus on what you're most concerned with or what you're most excited to do. And I think that also, if you want to experiment with something new, now is the time, especially as you're taking this transition. I think people are very scared of putting new ideas out there and having them not be received well or ignored. That's okay. That's part of the process. I actually fully encourage you to get comfortable there because that is the road to figuring out what you want to be doing, for who, and why. So go ahead, review your offers, and don't be afraid to experiment a little. Should we kill our darlings? We have an offer we really like. It's really fun, but it's like our worst seller. Should we should we scrap it? No, I think it's it's sit with why that might be your, your worst seller. I think that before so the, the kill your darlings, I'm just loath to kill any of my darlings because they are my darlings and I'm very special. I, I find before my clients throw out the baby with the bathwater, uh, we tend to look at the offer to figure out where's the disconnect. If the disconnect is this is something you wanted to create, but not something that people actually want, 
scrap it, but take what you think will work and you can reshape it and turn it into something else. So, you know, kill it, but like take its liver and like go do stuff. (laughs) Um, I think that, uh, that that's really important that you don't necessarily need to scrap. If you really love something, if you're really excited about it, it could, but there are so many different things that could be wrong with it aside from it just not being something people want. You know, maybe it's the messaging that's not working. Maybe you actually haven't been selling it. That's a big one. People are like, no one's buying this. I'm like, when's the last time you sold it? They were like, well, I don't, but it's on my website. I, uh, sorry, I did an eyebrow raise there. You folks couldn't see it on the podcast. Um, but so there's the product market fit, there's the messaging around it, there's actually selling it. Um, and then also reviewing, and this is actually somewhere a lot of people get stuck, especially with programs and courses, Mm -hmm. is that they become overwhelming because we get so into including as much, like just stuffing as much value as we can under the mattress. We're like, this has everything. I'm so excited. It just had, I, I can joke about this because I've done this. I've told the story. I've done it too. <laughs> yep, I, I spent three years creating a course that I re- and $10,000 that I re- retired 18 months later because I was like, wow, this is not it. Um, and I find that so paring down as well is hugely important because it helps people to ca- kind of glom onto and fully understand the value conversation in a really big way as well. Um, so it's often that simplification piece that we're strangely enough really drives, uh, begins to drive sales again. So if you have an offer that you love that isn't selling, you should take, you should figure out what you really like about it yep. and take that part and then reimagine the offer. But first you should try to sell it before you well, do any of that. Try to figure out why it isn't selling, you know, <laughs> yeah. like go, go through the list. Like, is it, am I actually selling it? Is it to the, is it being directed to the wrong audience? Is it way too overwhelming and nobody wants to take like, you know, a course that's, 106 modules over four weeks, even if we'll turn them into like a master designer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yep, yeah. yep. I, I've both made that mistake. And I've also been on the other end of that mistake. I know. I, I was on a, so bad. You're like, Oh, no, yeah. finish this. I was on a webinar just the other day. And I really liked what was being taught. And I wanted to buy the product. And then she said, I've just fit everything into this course that I know about this. There's like 50 lessons. I want to teach you guys everything. And I did not buy that course. Even though I really wanted to learn from this person, I did not want 50 lessons that was everything on this topic. Yeah, right. That's case in point. And I think also we forget that people are busy. Like we forget about humans doing their human things. You know, we're like, everyone should want to know about this. This is so cool. It will explode your business. Yeah, da, 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 da. Yes, but only if someone can get through it. And if that is, if that's the requirement, you've got to rethink what's on the table. Okay, so this has been awesome. I've got one last question for you. Um, So let's say someone is being pretty active on social media, like they have their business basically built, they're being pretty active on social media, they're posting on Instagram multiple Mm -hmm. times a week, maybe even every day. Mm -hmm. And they're just hearing a cricket. Okay, this is a lot of people, right? What yep. is the most common mistake that you see people making with their brand positioning that's causing people to just not respond, to not really be interested in what they have to offer? Most mm-hmm. common mistake. I find a big part of the issue, uh, first of all, if you're not using hashtags, y'all start using hashtags. You're not above hashtags. No, but um, I think that, <laughs> uh, and also, uh, so one thing I will say from a technical side of things is if your Instagram is crickets, often it's because you are also not interacting with other accounts. You're just showing up and posting the thing and being like, ha ha, 
You know, you say it's it's like any other social platform. You get out of it what you put into it. So you need to be also following other people, commenting on other people, basically treating them the way you'd want to be treated. Um, but the second thing I also find is that people are so concerned with their Instagram often looking perfect um, or playing it safe with their content that it's not making any splash or not, and it's not getting any kind of response. Right? There was that. Era, I want to say it was like 2017. <laughs> I already everyone, know what you're going to say. Everyone, <laughs> everyone was posting flat lays. Is that what you're yeah, going to talk about? Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> what I was about to say. Everyone, they're freaking flat lays, man. Um, it was, and so it became, it becomes, and it's also the, um, the poll quotes, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, it had to be the perfect shiny photos and all of that. And that's not really what Instagram's about. And this was kind of similar to what happened on Twitter. I want to say, I'm like just throwing years out there, but like, 2012 to 2014, everyone discovered Buffer and they're like, oh my God, I can be on Twitter without being on Twitter. So let me go ahead and post the same hundred blog links just year after year. And then they're like, wow, Twitter sucks. Twitter's broken. (laughs) And it's like, no, that's just not the way to use the platform. Um, So for Instagram, I think we're also, it's the flat lays and also we're concerned with like the perfect design and we want the color Mm -hmm. scheme and everything wants to look immaculate, but that's actually not really necessary. Human beings want to connect with other human beings. We want to know your ideas. We want to see you try new stuff. We want to see you, we want you to take us on a journey so we can explore. So focus on that as opposed to creating the perfect flat lay and see what changes. <laughs> so sh- focus on like showing real personality, being for and against things, showing, you know, showing a little bit of the messy because I 100% agree with you. I see too many people with Instagram feeds that are too perfect where they're all like nice professional brand photo shoot photos or flat lace yeah. or you know they don't want to mess it up so they keep everything nice and tidy they want it to all be on brand so every picture has the same background color or something like that yep. and it it just ma- makes people tune out because they don't want to connect with a professional something they want to connect with a person you know when, when it comes to personal brands in the creative space we're uh, i think those the perfect flat lays and the perfect graphics those are for aspirational brands you know like beyonce can do that and won't take a hit seth godin can just have nothing but the same you <laughs> yes, know graphic he <laughs> and he does yeah and he does exactly because he's not there you know but for the for the rest of us peasants um it's just really important to be out there and accessibility is such a great entry point and you can build towards aspiration for sure but accessibility is such an important entry point, especially as you're building, because it gives people a reason to follow you because it's you. Amazing. Mic drop. So you <laughs> mentioned something about a framework for that yeah. statement piece. Is that something that someone could get their hands on if they it were interested? It certainly is. If you visit hillarywise.com backslash statement piece framework, um, that's where you can grab the freebie. And it's an idea generation tool for creative service providers. And you're going to see the allies and enemies things in there in a slightly different way. And I promise you, it's like no other content idea, machine generator, whatever that you've ever seen. HillaryWeiss.com slash statement piece framework is statement piece framework, all one word. All one word. All one word. Okay, Mm -hmm. perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much. If someone wants to learn more about you, wants to connect further, wants to learn from you, where should they go to do that? Oh, this is where I do my radio voice. You can find me over on my website at www.hillaryweiss.com. That's H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-W-E-I-S-S. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can connect with me at H-C Weiss, H-C-W-E-I-S-S. I'm on the same handle on Instagram. And then if you want to connect with me on Facebook, I'm Hillary Weiss Presswood, which is my married name. So come say hello. Hillary, this has been amazing. And just thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. 
Oh my gosh, my privilege, Gillian. Thank you so much for having me. And those listening, don't be shy. Come say hey, okay? I'd love to meet you. All right. Well, that is everything for today. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you found this episode helpful and you would like to participate live in future recording sessions, then be sure to visit startupsociety.com slash podcast to learn more about all the benefits of membership and apply to join. And finally, it would be a big help if you left Work Less, Earn More a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only will this help us reach more people, but it's also going to give you the chance to potentially win a 12-month membership to Startup Society. All you need to do to enter is post your review on Apple Podcasts, then email a screenshot to contact at gillianperkins.com. Thanks again so much for listening. Now let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action. We'll be right back.